Welcome to the Conduit Deeper Podcast, a podcast that takes a deep dive into the details that surround our current sermon series. From current events to fascinating finds to conversations that take us deeper into the Word. Thanks for joining us. Welcome to our Deeper Podcast. My name is Mo, campus pastor, Conduit Church, joined with our lead pastor, Darren Tyler, who came in on two wheels this morning. A little jumpy. Came in hot. Uh, we're recording at a different time of the day than we normally do, and Darren got a little behind on his schedule because he zoned in, and uh, <laughs> then he had the great realization that, oh yeah, we we're supposed to be podcasting right now. But you made really good time Yeah, from your uh, your uh, your other office. I, um, for sure... 15 minutes ago, feels like 20 minutes ago, was sitting there working on like expense reports and a sermon for next week and texting with somebody in Asia going, I wonder if Mo remembers we're not recording at 10. And then me were going, oh, but it's actually 824. We're recording at 830. And yeah. You made great time. So you're coming in hot. You're you're feisty. You're ready to roll. Yeah, maybe this will be a spicy one. Spicy. I mean, last week was pretty spicy. Was it? The Kung Pao chicken version today is what we're going to get. We're going to get like the wow. spicy Caesar salad from Mojo's Tacos. You know, my wife uh, ordered Kung Pao um, recently I, just because she felt like the picture looked really good. Like, it looked good. Is this at the Panda Express? Yes. Yeah. And I'm like, babe, I don't, I don't know that, I don't know if you know what that actually is. She's like, no, it'll be fine. It looks amazing. So she ordered it. She got literally <laughs> two bites in. And she was done. Now, can anybody in the team and family handle uh, the spice? The spice? Uh, Gabe. Gabe can. Yeah, he's all about the spice. So he could finish that. Yeah, yeah. That. Yeah. So that's exactly what happened. I mean, Gabe just comes walking in. He's like, "You don't want that?" Just devoured it. Yeah. The thing about the the spicy chicken, and I'm going to make a statement here that is possible that we could lose some listeners over this. But Panda Express is almost like a school cafeteria if they served Chinese food. It's large quantities of low-quality food. And so the Panda Express version of Kung Pao Chicken um, is spicier than you think it's going to be, but not as tasty as you need it to be, <laughs> if that makes sense. Like, like yeah, there's I mean, a, probably. You could pay for the, if the, the, the price of the spice... Is the flavor, but if you've got the just if, if it's nothing but spice, but then you got a, like average flavor with it, it's not worth the cost of admission. This is my statement. It's a it's my opinion. It's not a thus saith the Lord. There are other churches that support Panda Express. Um, <laughs> we we are not anti Panda Express. I'm just Panda Panda no, neutral. You're Panda neutral. I don't know how we got there, but it was worth talking about. Yeah, maybe. But over the past couple of weeks, we've actually launched into a new teaching series. Uh, called simply more than a name, and um, it's really a, a a a conduit DNA type of a a teaching series, and we are relearning, refreshing that conduit isn't just the name of a church; it's a kind of church. Um, that we would be a conduit of Jesus to the community in front of us, to the world around us, and really dissecting um, the the mission, vision, purpose, values of of our church. Um, especially in light of um, some of the growth that we've experienced. Um, some some new folks have moved to town. They're wondering, what is this goofy church on Lewisburg Pike called Conduit Church? Why would they ever name their church that? Um, so we're answering some of those questions. And this week was a, a kind of a deep dive into the mission of the church. And specifically, it was kind of hinged upon this idea that we've been rolling around for the past decade, but it's this idea of discover, develop, and deploy. It's kind of a strategy, a mission strategy. Yeah. Where did that come from? What does that entail? You know where it came from? Was at some point me going, okay, this seems to be working, and then asking a question, what is working? Like I, Specifically, I, yeah. I felt like if we had, if, if things stopped working or, or uh, if we, if, if it is working, whatever, like I didn't really know why. So if it stopped working, I wouldn't know what to change. Like what were we doing wrong? Because I wasn't sure what was, what was right. And so it just was a lot of time going, um, this is the church that God has given us. And in the early days, I would joke a lot that 
I don't know what I'm doing, which was a genuinely true statement. It wasn't like an aw shucks routine. It was like, I genuinely don't know what I'm doing. Like we're coming out of the music industry. We knew things, even how to budget. We knew how to budget because it was like, okay, if you're going to be on tour, the average tour, there's $12 per head in an audience. So if there's a thousand people there, that means there's going to be $12,000 in potential merchandise sales, but then it's got to be split amongst all those artists. So, you know, you want to capture the most of that. There's just things that we knew. It costs thousand dollars a day to keep a bus on the road. Merch fee. <laughs> I didn't know any of that. Like, I, I didn't even know how to know if we were succeeding because, yeah. again, in the music world, there were metrics for that. Where you was the radio working? Were you selling tickets? Were you selling merchandise? Were, like, there, were, there were metrics to say, this is working. But because we weren't selling T-shirts after the Sunday gathering and there were no tickets for sale, like I didn't have any way to know whether it was working. I mean, I for all I knew, I sucked as a preacher. I didn't know. And uh, so so some of it just came from us going, okay, well, let's actually look at this because this does seem to be working. What is it that seems to be working? And what seemed to be working was this idea that everybody in this church has been called to do something by Jesus. This, discovering what that is feels like a pretty important thing that we've yeah. been a part of. Developing whatever that gift is that God has put in you, like developing the gift, the calling, the passion, like developing it, and then deploying. Like, you know, and it's the Baptists, we can make fun of them all day long, but the thing about alliteration is it kind of works. Like, you kind of remember stuff with it. And so that was where we were just sort of reverse engineering what Jesus was doing at Conduit. And then, you know, looking back at the way that Jesus led and the way that the early church led, it, it, it actually was how they were doing it. So I, we didn't make up anything new. Yeah. Like we didn't stumble on a new recipe for KFC, you know, hidden spices. It was just, oh, this is what Jesus was doing all along. It was just really simple. And that's where it came from. I mean, it's, it's, this is 12 years in the making, 12 years of anecdotal evidence of, I, I can't remember who said this, but don't ever write a book before you're 40, I think it was what, it might be, maybe I'm 50, but... Wow. Um, I, I don't remember who's it. might've been Francis Chan actually, hmm. but I, I actually get that because man, there's things, if I'd have written when I was 35 that I would be like, man, can we, can we recall that? Cause that, right. that didn't work. That sounded really good on paper, but after we put it in practice, but now I look back and think, okay, this has worked. We actually, I don't know that it's a model that could be replicated. I don't know that it's a model that needs to be replicated. Cause I don't know that it's a model as much as it is just a s- simplicity of following Jesus. And, you know, there's distinctives about what we do that are not punk rock. Uh, we're just doing it to be different. It was just, this is the way that Jesus led us. And inside of that was just, you know, discover, develop, and deploy. Yeah, the discover part, though, wasn't like you were passing around the spiritual gifts test no. uh, for us to take. You know, I mean, you, I'm sure you've taken a bunch of those over the years. Yeah, or like, yeah. that would be one of the first things that a church would hand you uh-huh. if you filled out a volunteer form. And there was a season where we did that. You know, we were just like, okay, we should probably just kind of know where our spiritual gifts are. But it, <laughs> but we've refined that over the way, uh, over over the past few, several years. Um, it's more than just taking a test uh-huh. to discover your gifts. It's it's relationship to figure out really what is your what are your desires, your passions, in the calling that the, the, the that the spirit is leading you to yeah. do. Yeah, the thing about the spiritual gifts test, for the most part, this is a broad and sweeping statement, and I recognize that. But when they combine all, they they combine the gifts of yeah. Ephesians, of First Corinthians, and of Romans onto one exhaustive list, mm. and then when you take your test, someone will say, you know, oh, I got the gift of evangelism uh, from from this thing, and or someone might have the gift of whatever teaching, mercy, whatever. But those are three different lists, so yeah. it actually is completely unhelpful to do that test yeah. if, if that's the test that has a if you're choosing between twenty one of them, because uh, knowing that the Romans twelve gifts, which we we covered exhaustively, mm-hmm. um, that we've each got one of those, and it's going to flavor or color the calling from Ephesians four, mm-hmm. apostle, prophet, evangelist, shepherd, teacher, and then that's going to you know depend on which is what I talked a little bit on Sunday that. You might be called to, well, let's say, be a teacher or an evangelist or whatever, but where are you called to do that? You might be called to do it in a school. You might be called to yeah. do it in your tech job. Like the, that's right. The the, that's, you know, First Corinthians seven seventeen. I think is what we, we, we stopped with that, was that he's basically saying your situation is your assignment. Like yeah, whatever situation the Lord has assigned you to, be there. Do that. Be there. 
And so, you know, I, I think of that like Kim Wascom is our uh, – she works with Jason. She's, she would be like the Aaron in Jason's Moses world. <laughs> um, yeah. A thankless job that is. Yeah. And, uh, but she works in healthcare during the day. Like that's her situation she finds herself in. And so the gift that she brings, she brings it to her work and she brings it to Sundays and whatever. But it's like that's a great example that she is not less than a uh, called, less than Christian because she's working in the marketplace. Just, that's where assignment is right now. Her yeah. situation is that, and so God has assigned her to that situation. Yeah, it's really, really, really helpful to know that there's kind of three sets of gifts um, that all work together to accomplish something. I've used the analogy before. It kind of remi- again, it reminds me of the game Clue. It's yeah. like you know Colonel Mustard, Colonel Mustard with the rope, and happens to be in the billiard room right now. That's the assignment. <laughs> it's a little crude, but but that's the idea, right? You've got this these three different elements. Um, and depending on how the, the spirit is leading you, yeah, where, where is your assignment right now? And sometimes that assignment, and I know my wife would speak to this. We've been talking a lot about it heading into a year where we're about to become empty nesters, which is weird to say. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there was a season there where the assignment was simply the, the kids. Yeah. You know, and that was the ministry. That was the moment of discipleship. Um, where the assignment was to teach the boys everything that that she could and pour all of her time and energy into that. And that was more than enough for the calling of that time. 100%. And I I love it because it's if that's where the Lord has called her, it's in, in, in our society, it seems like the, the, the um, moms, specifically amongst women, moms that work in the marketplace, the professional field, actually feel inadequate because they're not home with their parents. They feel like they're being made to feel less than. And ironically, moms that are staying at home feel the same way. Right. And so true. Right. And it's such a lie either way, because if whatever the situation, that's your assignment. That's exactly right. And if your assignment for that season, for, you know, for Jenny, who's clearly very talented vocally, she's a talented musician, she's a talented leader, all those things. It's not that she's not lost a part of her life just because she gave that to her kids. Like that was a gift. That was her assignment. And, you know, a lot of us, is it good enough if our greatest accomplishment is what our kids accomplish in their lives? Is that good enough? Because if if it's good enough for Jesus, you know, it is. And for the most part, I think that the, um, the American ideal, the Western ideal, is that if I don't do something big and I'm raising my kids simultaneously, mm-hmm. then I've failed. And for some of us, that's, you know, mm-hmm. like somebody had to raise John the Baptist, right? That was... <laughs> wow. That was... A good, you know? Yeah, that that's was, a good thought. What a patient mother. Yeah. And, yeah, right? <laughs> Jumped in her womb, Elizabeth. Like, that, that dude was already <laughs> jumping before he was ever on, on the earth. But, you know, they... And when you actually think about their story... Um, Zacharias, I think was his name, the pre, the high priest and, and, and Elizabeth, like, they... When the Lord came, the angel came and said, you're going to have a child. Your prayers have been heard. They were old people. Like They were probably thinking, what prayer? I haven't prayed that prayer in forever. Like yeah. She was old. She was beyond, like they'd, they'd probably stop praying that prayer. It wasn't like, here's your prayer, here's your answer. It was like, here's your prayer, and 50 years go by. But God had used that 50, however many years it was, to prepare them for the moment to raise this John the Baptist, who, by the way, his main calling in life was getting his head chopped off by Herod's daughter. Like, it's... But it's not a failure in the light of eternity because he, you know, he's obviously encapsulated forever. But I don't know. At the point of our lives, the day-to-day, you know, forest for the trees moment, if we don't have an eternal eye on it, you could feel like you may be failing and not doing enough. Yeah. When in reality, you've done, it, you've done exactly what God has called you to do. The, the guy that was born blind and Jesus heals him and they're like, oh, was it because he was, you know, a sin or because of his parents? And it's like, no, no, because so that on this day, God would be glorified. Like... If you're the blind guy and it's been 30 years that you're like, you might think, well, that sucked. Like that's right. for, that, that was for 30 years. I had to go through this so that mm. just on this day. But I think 2000 years into eternity, he's like, dude, that was amazing. Right. That was exactly why God had called me to be blind for 30 years so that on that day, wow, God yeah. would be given glory and meaning. And, and we all have those callings and purposes. That's the Alex Matala 101 uh, from Uganda. How many ministries do you have in your church is answered by the question, uh, how many people do you have in your church? Mm-hmm. If you have 400 people, you have 400 ministries because we are all called to the ministry of reconciliation. 
One of the other things that uh, we kind of touched on Sunday, um, which is really encouraging and kind of speaks to kind of how open-handed we have been um, over the years in, in, in just leading Conduit Church, Conduit Mission. It's just this idea that ministries don't compete with each other. They complete each other. Mm, yeah. And, um, and there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of power in that statement, really, that it, it empowers uh, other ministries, those that are called to lead in some facet outside of the four walls of our church mm-hmm. to, to feel like they have a partner. Well, look, if the, if what, so what Jesus said in Matthew 16, the gates of hell shall not prevail against my church. So this isn't Darren's church or Mo's church. This is Jesus's church. Then what he's describing is a force that is going to be deployed, not a fortress that has to be protected. I love that. And so if we're a force to be deployed in a force in any sort of a war, there are forces everywhere accomplishing different things, but they're, they're all going for the same mission. Like they're all under the, you know, the same, you know, general calling the shots. But they have a different purpose. You might have you know, the, the the Navy, you know, doing aquatic things. You might have the Air Force dropping bombs from above. You've got the Marines, you know, hoorahing their way through the, you know, through the through the jungle, all going for the same mission. So they are not in competition with each other. And humanity at the core of who we are. And if you've been around military guys, they 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 certainly, you know have competition with each other. You know, the Marines joke is that, well, we had, you know, thank God for the Navy because somebody had to drop us off. Um, or maybe that's the Air Force. I can't remember. But, they, but you know, which is, of course, a pejorative, insulting thing. Right. But the fact is, is thank God for the Navy because the Marines couldn't have gotten in there if it weren't for the Navy. And in God's kingdom, uh, this force that is being deployed means that if there is a, a ministry that is feeding kids in Haiti and ours is a ministry feeding kids in Haiti, we are not in competition with each other. God wants, you know, in this case that I'm thinking of right now, Bob and Kay, to be able to accomplish what he's called them to do, and he wants Conduit Mission to be able to. And the first time I ever, I think where that really came from, the first few years when I was in Haiti specifically, I saw something there that I didn't, it kind of felt gross to me, because it felt like, oh, this is what I felt in churches sometimes, which is... When other ministries were not there, like a, a somebody that was running like an orphanage or a feeding program, were pretty dismissive of the others than the way they were doing it, because the way that you know this organization is doing it is right. So that means everybody else is wrong, and most of the time, it wasn't a right versus wrong. It was a how did God wire this person to run hands and feet versus how did this person, how are they wired to run the compassion thing? How are they wired to? So it's going to look different based on that. So it's not, a, it's not a competition. It's not that we're doing it right. And I want to be very careful that when we talk about our church, it is not to the detriment of other churches that they're doing it wrong. It's that this is the way that God has wired us to do it. I think everybody should do it this way because, man, it's so freeing. Sure. Um, but if they don't, maybe it's because God has wired them to do something differently. But the, to that end, it's like that's why, it's why we can pray openly for other churches by name on a Sunday morning or whenever because we do believe that if they are you know, if they believe that the Christ was crucified, resurrected, right, on the third day, just as the scriptures foretold, for the atonement of our sins, like they're on the same team. And if they do it a little differently, then they, you know, if you got a guy that's a little more stuffy with a suit and tie, well, clearly there are people that need some people that are stuffy with a suit and tie. And they look at me going, man, that dude is loose as cream corn. <laughs> uh, he has no business being a pastor. But there are people that need cream corn apparently on Sundays. You know, a little more loose in the uh, in the saddle. But we're all going towards the same goal. And so inside of our church, whatever ministry it is, and I will say this, for whatever it's worth, this is a complete aside. If a ministry is in the church, um, it's, how do I say this right? Without without using names specifically. So if, if, if there's a ministry in a church that is an evangelistic, whatever, outreach ministry, and they come to us and ask us to help them financially, in a traditional church model, what they're asking for is there's going to be some bucket of money that has been set aside specifically for mission and then a bunch of people sit in a room and make decisions like the shark tank of, of missionaries. Right. That is not how we have done it. We have said uh, we will, for some, if the Lord has put us in a place like we can give them a platform, we can 
help prop them up. But we don't have like a pool where people are fighting over the money. We are literally saying we want to come alongside you. Uh, so it's a, it's like you can't have it both ways. You can't have sure. it that I want this church to support me at a thousand, two thousand dollars a month uh, out of the mission budget. If our mission budget is actually almost sixty percent of what fifty percent what's going out at the door, because we're then saying to the people who are part of our church, who is the Lord putting on your heart to support? Yeah, it's more of a GoFundMe model. Yeah, right. That's like going to go, <laughs> GoFundMe to GoFundMe church. But it's true. Like that's like we don't like the hundred and five thousand dollars that came in for pregnancy centers of Middle Tennessee last month was because the Holy Spirit put it on the hearts of people to do that. And we gave a platform to that. We, we told them this is an opportunity that we were right. supporting. And then we let the people hear the Holy Spirit on it. It's Second Corinthians 8 and 9. Paul telling the churches in Macedonia and Corinth, and hey, this is what we're doing. And you guys give out of the, you know, give out of what the Lord leads you to give to, not out of manipulation or pressure. And together, we'll be able to help these people in Jerusalem. Yeah, you present opportunities and let the Spirit lead. Yeah, and I will say that if, if, if somebody stands on our stage on a Sunday, it is because they have been vetted, it is because we have relationships with them, it is because we trust that what they're doing. So there is, we don't just give this platform to anybody, because that platform is worth something. Sure. And so we want to make sure that we trust and understand and, and that the, they do what they're saying they're going to do. And, and so by the time anybody gets there on a Sunday, that's what they're going to experience. And what's cool, and this is what I, I do wish every pastor knew this, that when we do that, so $105,000 went to Pregnancy Center in April, which does not include 50000 that's going for some land in Haiti. It does not include 20000 that went to send the chapels to Zambia. And, you know, Mo being our uh, the, the, the strings and glue that holds all this together, like our, our monthly nut, which is needed to operate the church itself, doesn't go up or down based on that stuff. Like it, it's never. It's unaffected. If anything, the 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 more that comes in for the mission, the more like the spirit of generosity that happens, um, the more that comes in uh, to help fund the operations. It's counterintuitive, right? <laughs> right. Beca- because you would think one takes from the other. Yeah, and it just doesn't. It literally comes from a different pocket, I guess. I don't people give out of their pockets anymore, but it just gives from a from a different bucket of of someone's heart. But there are those because obviously. If I'm a guy with a teenager, I you know I, I want someone to be able to speak into my kids' lives. We have parents with children. We want the, the children to speak into their lives. We don't want to get rained on on Sunday, so we need somebody to be able to pay for this building. God does give people a heart to pay for, to invest in the troop carrier That's that right. we call conduit. Somebody's got to steer this thing. Somebody's got to clean this thing. Mm-hmm. And so that costs money too. But it's not like the idea that you have to give everything to us and then we decide. And then we decide. Yeah. I mean, think about how awesome our elder meetings are because we're never really we don't have to fight over that. <laughs> right. Right? We're not sitting there with the Lottie Moon offering and, you know, sending it off to IMB and then letting some committee that I don't know making decisions. God bless those people, the the, the Southern Baptists, the IMB have they've accomplished amazing things in the past few right. decades, you know. But if you're wired to give that way, give to Lottie Moon. But the many people we've discovered are wired to give to I want to see that there's something that, that I'm trusting that this generosity is going to be of more value in the kingdom here than it is in my bank account. And we have given them a way to see, yeah, you, you give this today, and by Thursday it's actually going to where it's supposed to go. Yeah, so you know, right now we're speaking to deploying resources, and one of the resources that we can deploy, um, not just in funds, but in time and in people. Yeah. So, for instance, our, our good friend uh, and... Um, Missions pastor uh, Eric Newberry is on a flight right now. He's about to land. Yeah, he should be uh, in coming Do- into Doha. Um, heading to Iraq, to sending him over to Iraq to meet with our good friends uh, Grady and Becky Pickett over there and see the ministry that they're doing and how we can yeah. continue to partner with them. We deployed 60 plus people over the weekend to serve um, at Place of Hope in Columbia, Tennessee. Um, at the the pregnancy center just around the corner in Columbia as well. Yeah. Um, we, we have we have a, a, a group of people going to Uganda here in a couple months yep. um, to build some wells, open some churches. Like we're not just deploying funds, but we're deploying passions, deploying time mm-hmm. and people into these places. It's that's part of it as well, not just money. 
Yeah, the the thing about the kingdom of God, if we're forced to be deployed, a, a lot of people, I would say this was me for so much of my life. I actually wanted to do something, but I didn't know what to do. So I actually didn't end up doing anything. And sure, yeah. So that was like, so by allowing those who don't know yet, so those who are still in the discovery process, one of the b- best ways of discovering is actually you keep trying stuff and if it, some, sometimes it rings a bell, sometimes it doesn't. So by setting up uh, our, our forces to go be deployed to Place of Hope or deployed to go to a crisis pregnancy center, um, there are people, and it happened, there are some people there that were like, man, you know what, this is really resonating with me. How can we help more here? How can we, because they're beginning to discover what it is that God has called them to do. And by the way, a lot of times, if you're looking for your clue of like, where is God really calling you to? Like, what, what is your assignment, right? Is like, what are, you, what, are you passion, what are you passionate about? And passion is just healthy anger. Like when you look out and you think, this is not fair, this is not right. What, the, oftentimes that is the way that God speaks to us and what we're supposed to do. Yeah. Acts chapter six, the, the widows that were being fed, uh, they were being, there were uh, Greek widows that were being overlooked. And they were complaining, rightfully so, that they were being overlooked. And it says that they, you know, they brought together seven men full of the Holy Spirit and all these giftings. And that's where we first encounter Stephen. And four or five, at least for, uh, like for sure four, but maybe five of the seven men that were chosen were Greek. Of the widows that were being overlooked, they were Greek. Yeah. I'm sure those guys were angry, just like the widows were angry. But instead of like griping and tweeting about it, they just became a part of the, the solution of it. Their, their passion, healthy right. passion, led them not to become an activist, but, but, to, come to, but to act. Yeah. To not tear something down, but to build something up. And the kingdom of God, uh, so often it's, it's tempting to say, hey, we want to pick it. We want to boycott. And you know, it's beyond me and above my pay grade to know whether you should or shouldn't do that. But I know what First Peter 2 says, and that's that it's by your good works that you will silence the talk of foolish men, not by your well-crafted uh, Facebook posts, right. your well-articulated uh, gotcha zingers and memes. Those are not how you overcome the talk of foolish men. And when we are looking at a world right now, I mean, this week, the Roe versus Wade could very well in our lifetime be overturned. The, like this week, the, the 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 draft before the Supreme Court that was leaked by Justice Alito. Uh, obviously, somebody with a, with an agenda leaked it. Yes, gonna gonna uh, clean that up just a little bit. It wasn't leaked by Justice Alito. Oh, I'm sorry. Written by Alito. Written by Alito. Yes. Leaked by someone else. Someone else. Who, yeah, (laughs) who seems to be someone who had an agenda to try to shut down Alito. Get everybody fired up. Get everybody fired up for it. If nothing else, get them fired up for these midterms. Mm -hmm. Um, But here's the thing. I don't know what happened there. I don't know whether this is going to be overturned or not. What I do know is that we as a church in our own country have an opportunity to be a part of actually – being uh, loving on women who are making this choice. And in some cases now, if these laws change, we'll feel like they're going to be forced to have made a choice. We need to have forces ready to love on these women and these children. And so can we talk about how powerful and impactful $105,000 to the pregnancy center in Middle Tennessee is and how timely that is right now? Yeah. It's incredible because they they need more space. They need to expand. They see what's coming. Uh, they, they've they've recognized it and they felt it. Yeah. Um, and the uh, sonogram that we bought for them a couple of years ago has already increased the amount of women that are giving life. Because if you walk in as a young lady, especially young, and you're being told that this is a clump of cells, and the, but you see the sonogram, there's a reason Planned Parenthood does not want sonograms in these places because they don't want a young lady to know that that quote-unquote clump of cells has arms and legs and fingers and a heartbeat. There's a statistic that I will screw up, but a, but a, a strong percentage of women who see their child on a sonogram will choose life for that child because they suddenly realize that is a child and that is on me too. Isn't isn't that, I think I've read this yesterday, that, that that's part of the Tennessee uh, law, perhaps, that Governor Lee signed in uh, maybe a year or two ago. I think it's it might be the heartbeat bill where a, a a sonogram or an ultrasound is required 
for any for anyone that walks in um, requesting an abortion that they they must have an ultrasound or a sonogram. First. I did not know that. Yeah. Well, when you think about it, why not? Right. And the yeah. answer why not is because it's a child, and if you've got an agenda, you don't want them to know it's a child. Mm-hmm. And for us as a church, as churches, we have the. I don't want not only the opportunity we have we have a moral obligation to love and to take care of as best we can uh, and there are churches everywhere and if every church in this community of just middle Tennessee alone would would step up in in a very powerful way that force could could absorb anything that Roe v Wade being overturned would do here and that's like true across the country there are churches across the country thousands and thousands of them that, that will stand up. It's our opportunity. It is a moment where we get to put our money where our mouth is, where we get to say life is important and it's important enough that we're going to get behind. And I might say this too, like just, just an, uh, I don't know, a challenge to people. Statistically speaking, in any given church, the statistics say that between 25 to 30 percent of the women in that room have had an abortion for whatever reason, and to say, number one, that if that's you, that the grace of God is big enough, is, is wide enough, that the blood of Jesus is powerful enough to, to wash that on you. And then for us as Jesus people, to be careful not to lead with shame, to uh, ostracize and marginalize those women, and some men, right, who have been a part of those decisions. Of course. To say that, you know, hey, look, the, the ones that I know, have, they're, they're, they're so repentant and they're so sorry and they're so sad and they're actually using their passion for their own history to now drive their passion towards helping other women to save them from that, that of their own lives. Like the blood of Jesus is big enough to take care of that and so I want to be very careful in our own language, in our own churches to, uh, to encourage and to you know, just gr- pour grace over it and not pour shame over it because you know, in the same way that Paul, the Christian primary Christian killer of his time, becomes the primary Christian winner of his time, yeah. God often does that in people's lives. And there's an opportunity here for some young women, some older women. Uh, it's uh, you, people it's don't know this, but many of the people that they know that have uh, that have uh, that in their own lives, maybe your own family, that have had an abortion in the '70s or the '80s because they just didn't know. They thought, well, it's legal; it must be okay. I, I've literally talked to people that that's how they felt, and I don't blame them for that. They wow, were told yeah. they were they were literally in the same way that trans kids are being kids being called trans, I should say, who are being misled by our government and by our healthcare system. There were women misled and lied to by our healthcare system into doing something that they profoundly regret. Mm-hmm. And we have love and grace for you because Jesus has love and grace for me. Yeah, and to be clear on this this Roe decision that is um, that that has leaked, it's not a final ruling. That will be um, in the next couple of months. However, with this being leaked, that might speed things up um, to get a, a final um, document for that. But what it's really stating um, is that it's going to return the power to the states. Yeah, that's that's the the ruling. So that it will be a state decision. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, those blue states mm-hmm. have the opportunity to to decide what they want to decide and how they treat abortion. Yeah. Um, and the red states clearly are, uh, are are locking that down. So this is really coming off of a Mississippi. Um, this is all of this is kind of hinged upon what's happening in Mississippi in terms of how they are establishing their laws. Um as it pertains to abortion, which I think is a, I'm trying to remember, I think it's a 15-day yeah. pregnancy rule. Um, and so some other states are adopting that. But it's this is, they're defederalizing the uh, abortion law and putting that back on the states to decide. Yeah, I mean, the, the thing about the Roe v. Wade, if you just, if you literally take the emotion out of it, and the morality out of it, which is impossible, but if you take it out of it, it's actually just bad law. Right. Like, the, it, it's it's unconstitutional. 
to take it out of the state's hands and to put it. So if you literally take the biblical side out and you just literally, I'm looking at the Constitution, I'm looking at our republic. It's just, it was bad law. And so bad law became the law of the land, not because it was right or wrong, but because it was uh, politically expedient. That's right. You know, the idea that the courts are political now and they weren't earlier is kind of a joke. <laughs> sure. The only difference now is that people are saying it out loud instead of being quiet about mm-hmm. it. Because the political, for the most part, is what somebody believes to be right or wrong. Somebody, you know, this is right or this is wrong. So if you, uh, the law, I'm looking at this and this is right or this is wrong. And uh, by taking it out of the state's hands, bad law was put in place. And so there's an opportunity to overturn bad law. But it does mean that by putting it in the state's hands, states like California, states like New York, who have made no qualms about it, mm-hmm. you know, there, there, there is video regularly available of quote unquote experts saying that abortion should be legal up until third trimester, up until birth. Right. Like, if, if, if the mental health, I think this was a California, it might have been New York, but if the one of the, the bills that was put forward was, if this child, so it's talking about the health of the mother is one of the things. If the health of the mother is on the line, then this then abortion should be an option. If the health of the mother, well, they've made mental, this bill was, and I don't know if it passed, but it was to make mental health a part of the health of the mother, saying that if this baby being born could, quote unquote, harm the mental health of the mother, up until birth, third trimester, that an abortion should be an option for. Yeah. And of course, when you throw mental health in that mix, you know, the, the original laws of, you know, when they talk about the health of the mother, you, you think they're talking about, uh, is she going to bleed out and die? Those are, those are horrible, horrible decisions and horrible situations. But that is one part of what is being talked about. The whole of it is, ment- it goes all the way to mental health. If this mom is gonna yeah. suffer from depression, because this baby is born, then that baby should be aborted because the health of the mother is at risk. There's also another law being proposed out there, another bill, rather. I think it's in Virginia, I think, or Colorado. I cannot remember. Somebody correct me on this. But it's talking about if they, if a newborn child, born, a birthed child, if their vi- the viability of that child is in question, I think for up to 15 days. 15 days? That they can abort. That has been, that is out there, which is a whole nother level. It's, de- I mean, it's just demonic. It, call it what it is. It is absolutely a demonic spirit to even suggest that that would be appropriate. Right. Regardless of the situation. But that is in, that's indeed being floated out there as well. But this is this example of what's happening in our legal system, which is really being affected, influenced by our culture. Because when when you the difference between a progressive or a conservative on the court is actually really pretty simple. The conservative is trying to protect what was already written and saying this is what is the law. The Progressive is saying, well, we the times have changed. We understand more now, and so we, we adapt the law to what we know. So they're saying that the culture is what is uh, is what is going to dictate the law, not the law dictating the law. And in, in, the, in the name of progress, everything from a, a child being able to decide whether they are a boy or a girl, and it, you know, if, that, if that's the, what culture says, then that needs to be the law. Um, the laws are based, and the thing about being a conservative that's actually hard is, it's hard to conserve. Like it's hard to protect. What you know, I you know, when I had the, the farm, like nature every day was a battle against nature, conserving the land, conserving the fence, conserving the uh, the, the the fields around it and the forest. It was like there was a it was a daily job because nature wanted to overtake my land. And in progressiveness, what they're saying is that nature, which we would call the Romans one, the sin nature, is what we just just let it go. It's just too, we've, we know we, we just let it go. Let it take over and see where it goes, because the, this is what nature says. Conservatives would say uh, let, that's a that's a terrible idea, letting nature yeah. decide. And so for for the church, churches, conduit church specifically, if our force to be deployed is one against the gates of hell against the sin nature, Hades is actually the word Sheol, then we don't have to get back into our fortress and, and wall up. 
we're actually called to be in those places. And one, uh, one of the places right now where we need that so much is in our public education systems. Now, uh, many, many parents are withdrawing their children from public education, uh, and I think wisely so. And I think that even the school that your boys yeah. experienced just a few years ago is different than the school that is happening. <laughs> yeah, I mean, two years removed at this point. Yeah. It's bizarre how fast the culture has changed it. Now, so there's two things in that. Like, if a child up until fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth grade, whatever, being influenced in those environments, you know, it is a full time war. Nature is trying to take your child away. So for those who can afford to, so homeschooling, I think there's there's a lot of wisdom in that. But there are many who cannot do that. It's not an option for them. We need Christians taking the the front lines of these roles as teachers, as school counselors. One one of our staff, their spouse, I don't know if I can say her name, so I'm not going to say it, uh, is taking a role in a public school as a school counselor. Just got her degree, and she's going to... And we need people in those roles because the school counselor role right now, in my mind, is like the Trojan horse of the progressive secular culture inside of a school. This is an unregulated or, or lightly regulated area. And th- so a child going in there at seventh grade can say, I'm confused about my gender. And that school counselor does not have to tell the parents. That school counselor can do say whatever they want to say, whatever their worldview has brought them. And so... In a world right now, what we're seeing is a lot of young people, especially in their late 20s, getting out of school, coming out of woke universities with woke degrees, taking on these roles now as an activist to try and influence these children to uh, in, in their journeys of whether it's sexuality or gender. We need believers in those roles, not shrinking back and hiding off. I, I love that we have educators in our system. Are they... Bootstrapped, absolutely. Are their jobs in danger every day? 100%. Do they have to be wise as serpents and harmless as doves every day? That's what it looks like to kick down the gates of hell, to go in to a place that is hell on earth in many cases and love on some kids the best way that they can with the wisdom and the power of the Holy Spirit. We need more of that, not less of that. We need it in tech companies. We need it yes. in education. We need it in politicians. We need it everywhere. It's a strategic insurgence of Jesus people. Here you go. Into the culture. Yeah. Like strategic, more than ever before. Frontline insurgence of Jesus people into the culture. Yeah. Like it is not a time to shrink back. And that's that's something we, we talk about. Um, we've talked about in the series that we will be proactive, that we will be active, that we will take ground back, um, that this is not a time to uh, to protect the fortress. And when even when you use that kind of language, there are a, a lot of people inside of Christendom who get real squeamish with it because they feel like, well, it feels really aggressive. It feels really... Meanwhile, and, and by the way, that comes from... Uh, for the most part, secular progressives saying, oh, you guys, all you're doing is out there trying to convert. All you're doing is trying to, you know, force your religion on me. And while simultaneously trying to convert us and trying to force their religion on us. Yes. Because if, for instance, you believe that a, a, a man can have a baby, right? If you believe that, that's not science. That's a belief. That's a religion. Maybe there's no God in it, but it is a belief. It is not a fact. And when you trying to force that on my children, if I've got, if, if I'm a mom right now, a dad, and I've got a seventh grader who is sitting down across from a school counselor, I do not want someone there trying to throw a worldview disguised as science on my kids. It's not a bad thing to say that we want to convert people to the gospel of Jesus Christ. The, the idea that we're saved by grace and not by works, the idea of religion is gone and we can rest in his... What's not to love about that? When you head into other countries, you know, it's, it's, you don't find uh, villages overrun by grace-loving Jesus people with you know, oppression. You find that in Islamic villages, by the way. Um, but, but grace of God, Jesus people, you know, is there some... Christianity versions of Christians that have taken religion and yeah, absolutely. But, but of course, an, an attack of the enemy, the, 
attack from the inside, but the vast majority of them are Jesus people who love their neighbors as themselves, who don't commit adultery. These, what, is, what do you not like about this? You know, the, the, is it the don't murder thing? Is that what's too much for you, like that we don't murder people? Like, Yeah, I mean, while gender is being debated in elementary schools in America, there are elementary children in the villages of Africa that are hiking three miles a day to just find some semblance of water that's yeah. not even remotely healthy for them and bringing it back so that they can cook and survive. Yeah. Like, it's so disjointed. It's, it's, it's such a uh, antithesis of actual problems that need solved and, and are being solved through the generosity, the, 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 the love and power of Jesus, um, where, we're, where, where we, you, are digging wells, where, where those that are uh, the body of Christ are going into these places um, and offering solutions that are uh, not only practical, but spiritual and are life-changing um, for generations. Dude, and the reason that the, 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 literally this morning there are villages all over East Africa, all over the world, where a little boy or a girl got up before the sun came up, put their little yellow jerry cans on their head, and yep. walked to a, a pond somewhere and got water full of parasites and cow stuff and walked back miles. And the reason that happened to them is their government and their culture does not think that they are valuable enough to invest in. That's right. The, the, there is no—the the government and the cultures of most of these nations, and it is unimaginable to us because in Western culture we believe that life is precious and that equality is— a, but we don't—that's a Judeo-Christian idea. That didn't just come out of thin air. Science does not support that. Science says survival of the fittest. Survival of the fittest. Yeah. So when you look at the scientific approach to that, a country like China, who completely does have, have like the horrible human rights records, well, of course they do because survival of the fittest. Yeah. That there, there's no morality that you can pull from science that says that what they're doing is wrong. In Jesus, people, in the culture of Jesus, when you go with us when someone is there, like we've got Haitians and, and Ugandans and Asians rescuing these people, the people around them are kind of actually bef- like baffled by that. Like the people in the cities there that are a little more wealthy in those countries actually s- are, are kind of annoyed by, again, broad sweeping statement, but many of them are kind of annoyed because they, they belong to the bourgeoisie of this nation and in their culture and in their government, um, that's just the cost of being bourgeois, was we need somebody to feed, uh, to, to, to be the slaves to buy, build these roads that we're on. Right. That's not the, the gospel of the kingdom. And so the gospel of the kingdom is that that child is so valuable and so worth it that a bunch of Mazungus, is which what they call white people in Uganda, <laughs> took money that you could have used for your bass boat, for your sea dew, for your, your beach house, and you drilled a well for me. They'll never meet you. For the most part, but they they do what Jesus says: you let your light shine before men, that they might see your good works. Our good works is our light, and glorify God. And there, I, I got pictures from this weekend of our churches in Uganda. They are packed right now, and they are glorifying God in their in their church buildings with their schools and their clinics and their wells, all paid for by people they've never met. And partly because they've just recently come out of lockdown, have they not? I mean, recently. This is 2022. Uganda. Two years. Uganda has finally opened up. The longest lockdown of any school in the world was in Uganda. Unbelievable. Um, it's, um, it is absolutely unbelievable. The damage that they have done to those children is damnable. I mean, even the Atlantic, for crying out loud. Sure. Right? Yeah. The Atlantic, with, uh, you know, headlines like practicing human sacrifice in Georgia, you know, they literally released a piece yesterday uh, saying that the school lockdowns were should should have been lifted long ago, that it was wrong, that the kids were not a vector of transmission, that the, the science does show that that didn't. Wow. Now, by the way, in May of 2021, even, that would have gotten you pulled off of Twitter. It got many people pulled off of Twitter. But the Atlantic is – and the reason they're saying it is because it's actually true. <laughs> right. Right. They're, they're not, they didn't just make it up. So what happened, it wasn't – it's not more true in, you know – That's right. Uh, right. This summer than it was last summer. Or the summer before. Or the summer before. 
so when we as a church continued to move forward, we didn't do it because we we're just trying to be punk rock revolutionary war people. We just did it because it was true. We stayed open as a church. We allowed people to give generously to these things, and there are children alive right now because the conduit force did not try to block up and lock up our fortress, but we had deployed the forces and the fortresses around the world and kicked down gates of hell. Love it. Wow. I'm fired up. Um, there's, and I'm, hopefully, those listening are, are excited. Uh, this, is, this is a, what a time to be alive. Right. There's so much to do. There's so um, there's so many opportunities (laughs) to serve. There's opportunities to give. There's opportunities to make a difference, not only in your family, uh, within your kids and your spouse, your your family unit, uh, but in this community that we live in. There's opportunities to impact the kingdom. There's opportunities around the world, literally on the opposite side of the globe. You can have an impact um, through the different conduits that are uh, attached to the source and that is uh, through through the Lord and and the power of the Holy Spirit as he's guiding us and directing us through these different mission efforts and it's just really an exciting time we have a, a list of those different opportunities at conduitmission.org um, there's there's things on there that we haven't even had time to even really discuss the different opportunities from from schools that are being launched to um, to wells to um, Operation Freedom, um, so many different opportunities, and you can find out more there as well. And uh, and so we're just we're just excited for all of those that have partnered with us um, over the past year and over the past twelve years specifically. This weekend is Mother's Day, so we're going to take uh, a, a little break in this um, this mini series that we're doing more than a name, and we're going to uh, dive into a few things this Mother's Day, and uh, then we'll be back on track the following week and the following two weeks um, as we wrap up more than a name um, of this teaching series. Again, conduitchurch.com, conduitmission.org. You can get in touch with anything and everything that we're doing there. If you have any questions, if you have a prayer request, you can email that in at info at conduitchurch.com. And in fact, I think we have a prayer request link on our website as well. Uh, we would love to hear from you if you have any questions. And uh, we're just so thankful that you've joined us each and every week.